The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So you shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, for the sake of uh, those of you who were not here last week, or those of us, those of you who were but are forgetful, uh, I will let you know that uh, our bishop has given us direction uh, in terms of how we are to proceed with our worship in light of the uh, coronavirus outbreak. Um, he is uh, asking that at the peace we refrain from shaking hands, uh, so you can simply bow to one another or do the uh, elbow thing, uh, but uh, he's asking that we refrain from shaking hands at the peace. We also uh, will not be holding hands at the Lord's Prayer. In terms of the administration of communion, uh, he is strongly discouraging the practice of intinction, that is, dipping the bread in the wine. Uh, the best research indicates that uh, sharing the common cup is, uh, d does not uh, present uh, an increased risk of disease. Uh, frankly, if it did, then every one of us priests who uh, drank the uh, who reverently consume the remainder of the wine at the end of the service uh, would be sick all the time, uh, but we're not. Uh, so uh, we are using silver uh, rather than the ceramic that we usually use during Lent uh, and a higher alcohol wine um, to help with that. But uh, if, you, if you must receive by intention, we ask that you simply leave the bread on your hands and, and let the chalices uh, dip it for you. Um, you may also, of course, uh, simply choose not to receive the cup. A valid communion is made by receiving in either kind, 
uh, and that, uh, that is always the case. So uh, simply, uh, if you have questions about that, I'd be happy to, um, to talk with you further about it. I also want to uh, mention, as I did last week, that I am uh, certainly uh, not going to refrain from visiting those who are sick. And so uh, as uh, you encounter uh, people who are sick in our congregation, or if you are sick, please do not hesitate to call uh, and, and uh, have me visit. Uh, one of the privileges of my office is that I get to come and anoint people with oil for healing. Uh, that sacrament of unction is, uh, is available to you. So speaking of disease, I uh, was reminded this week uh, of my own uh, near-death experience. Not really a near-death experience. Some people have had real, real near-death experiences. Mine was Mine was sort of a, you know, kind of in the same zip code as death experience, maybe. A couple of years ago, uh, on, on, my parents live in, in Connecticut, and as we were driving home from Thanksgiving, I noticed that when we stopped at the rest stop that my knee was a little, little swollen, uh, a little sore. I just kind of chalked it up to the, to the long trip. But the next morning, it was still swollen and still sore and getting more painful. So I called my doctor got an appointment to see him the next day and made it through the day and it just, it was getting worse to the point that Tuesday morning when I got up, I called the doctor to see if they had anything earlier than 4.30 in the afternoon. By that point, I had to use a walker that we dug out from, like, like uh, Matt's, uh, from, from when I had had surgery on that knee a couple of years before. I had had a, a, a ruptured quadriceps tendon, had to get it repaired. It never really did heal right. Um, so I, I trudged into my doctor's office. Mary dropped me off at Sinai and then came in, and uh, we're sitting there with the doctor, and, and I figure, oh, you know, maybe there's just water on the knee. He'll draw it off, and that'll be fine, or, or maybe there's a, you know, a little infection or something. He'll, you know, prescribe me some antibiotics, and it'll clear up. He comes in, and first thing he does is he takes out this syringe, bigger syringe than I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it, I remember it being about this long and holding about a quart. It probably wasn't actually that big, but, but uh, so he jams the thing into my knee, and he says, now you should, you should uh, when I relieve the pressure, this should give you some relief, and he pulls the plunger all the way out, and he looks at the syringe, and he says, I'm admitting you. We're going to get you started on intravenous antibiotics right away. And tomorrow, I've got a full schedule, but I'm going to figure out how to put you in because I need to do surgery on your knee as soon as possible. This was not how I was planning to spend Christmas that year. As it turned out, there were, I was basically off work for three months as I was recovering from that infection. Those of us who are reading through the Bible in a year on Tuesday, uh, or in the case of Terry, who's a few days behind, maybe Thursday or Friday, uh, came across the story in Numbers that's being referenced in our passage in John. Jesus mentions the story of the serpent lifted up in the wilderness. For those of you who haven't been reading through the Bible in a year, 
I'll remind you of this. This was uh, Numbers chapter 21. The Israelites, at this point, they've, they've you know, Charlton Heston has led them out of, the, out of Egypt, and they got through the, the, the uh, Red Sea and everything, and they're now wandering around in the desert because they had not paid good attention. Well, they maybe have paid attention, but they were not obedient to God's instructions. And God said, okay, you're going to wander around for 40 years, and apart from these two faithful guys, Joshua and Caleb, the rest of you who came out of Egypt are not going to enter the promised land, including Moses. You're going to wander for 40 years. And you can imagine as that time kind of came to a close, and as the number of survivors of that exodus from Egypt, who were over 20 at the time, were there. You wonder, like, you know, you get up in the morning, Phil? Yep, okay, we're not going in today. But they're wandering around in the wilderness. They traveled from Mount Hor along the road to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses, and they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. This miserable food was the manna, which God miraculously provided to His people every morning. Then Yahweh sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against Yahweh and against you. Pray that Yahweh will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And Yahweh said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. It's kind of like our psalm. Psalm 121, Levavi Oculus. I lift up my eyes unto the hills, whence cometh my help. You can imagine somebody who is in great danger, perhaps somebody who's under attack, looking to be saved, looking for somebody to come and help them out, and they're looking at the hills just hoping that their friends can come over the ridge, kind of like the, 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 uh, the, the, the horse riders. You think about that scene in the second Lord of the Rings movie when they're at, at Helm's Deep, and it looks like it's all lost, and then these, you know, Great Nordic warriors come over the hills with their, with their big beards and their big horses and, and kill all the orcs. But the psalmist says, actually, my help comes from Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth. He's the one that helps. He's the one who saves. This passage in our gospel this morning is so familiar that we sometimes, I think, can miss the power of it. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. I've said before that our, our prayer book is beautiful, but every once in a while something clangs off the rim. One of the things that clangs off the rim is our prayer D, which we're going to use in just 20 minutes or so, where it reads, 
God, you loved the world so much that you sent your Son. Well, that's not really how the Greek works here. When God so loved the world doesn't mean God loved the world so much. It really is, no, this is the way that God loved the world. This is the way that God demonstrated His love for the world, by giving His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, this message, as Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians, this message is scandalous to Jews. It's foolishness to Greeks. Obviously, Nicodemus, who is a, a Pharisee, and not only is he a Pharisee, he's the member of the Sanhedrin, so he's somebody who has great respect among his community, somebody of, of deep learning. And he's showing up to Jesus trying to figure out what this thing is all about that he's heard about. This, this itinerant rabbi, this guy from Galilee is off teaching and healing and all these things are happening. And Jesus says, what, you don't get it? Nicodemus is like, no, I don't get it. What you're saying doesn't make this born again. I'm like, how can that happen? I obviously can't do that. And Jesus doesn't give an inch. It's like, what, you're Israel's teacher? And you don't get this? I'll tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, we testify to what we've seen. Still, you people don't accept our testimony. You can imagine Nicodemus saying, you people. But just as this Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, Jesus says, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. What was it about the snake in the desert that had a healing property to it? Well, nothing. I mean, it's just a bronze snake stuck up on a pole. But God told Moses to make it. He told Moses to hold it up so that the people who had been bitten could look at it and could be healed. Now, it may be that there were people in the desert, bitten by snakes, who didn't like this idea. There may be that there were people who said, look at a snake on a pole, that doesn't make any sense. Those people died. It may be that there were people who found it offensive that there would be only one way to be saved from this disease. Maybe there would be something else that I could do instead of looking at a snake on a pole, which seems kind of silly. Those people died. But the people who did as God said, who received the salvation that He was offering, they lived. You know, when my doctor came to me before, he, before I got wheeled into surgery that next day, and he said, I'm going to try to save your leg now. I didn't say, well, who is it that says my leg needs saving? That's really rather judgmental of you. When he said, I'm going to start you on intravenous antibiotics right away, I didn't say, well, really, isn't there something else we could do? Maybe like, you know, some burnt sage or some sort of a herbal tea. Is there, is there a homeopathic remedy for this? No. I did not say that. I said, thank you, 
And when he said, I'm going to go try to save your leg, I said, thank you, and I will pray for you. (laughs) And when I woke up and found out that I still had a leg, I said, thank you. I was grateful that I had received the salvation, the deliverance that I needed. In much the same way, I think, people want all kinds of different ways to handle the problems that they have, and sometimes there's really only one solution. What God says here is that there is a problem, there is a need for people to be saved from perishing, from being rightly judged. Because whoever doesn't believe stands condemned already because he hasn't believed on the name of God's one and only Son. But God loved the world this way. This is the way that He heals. He gave His one and only Son. And whosoever believeth on Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God didn't send His Son to condemn the world. He sent His Son to save the world. And that salvation is available to all of us simply through faith. This, Paul says, is what Abram learned. And, and we skipped over some of this stuff where, where Paul, Paul talks about it. He says, you know, remember that, that line in Genesis where it says that Abram believed and it was credited to him as righteousness? Paul says, when, when, did, that, when did that get spoken? When, when did we find out that Abram's faith was credited to him as righteousness? Was, was that before he did the whole circumcision thing and offered his son? No. No, it was before all that. That's why all of us who have the same kind of faith Abram had, whether we are physically descended, genetically descended from him or not, we have the same access that he had to that same relationship with the God of Israel, the one true Lord of the universe, who loved the world. How? Loved the world in this way, by giving his only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God didn't send the Son to condemn the world. He sent Him to save it. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Paul says in Romans, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But whoever doesn't believe Stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So when we affirm our faith as we are about to do in the words of the Nicene Creed, we are saying to God that we agree. We're saying to God that we receive this gift. We're saying we understand that we have a problem. And we understand that you're the only one who provides a way for it to be solved. And we say thank you. Amen.